Let's open the Word of God to John chapter 17, the Gospel of John and the 17th chapter. It is the Lord Jesus Christ's high priestly intercessory prayer to his Father before his crucifixion. I have given you a handout in an attempt to keep your attention and an attempt to keep the younger ones understanding a little bit of what we're covering. For those of you that might be listening or viewing this later, if you will go to our website and look at days adjacent to this Lord's Day, you'll be able to print off that handout yourself. John chapter 17, I read you the first three verses. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Amen, amen and amen. amen. This morning already we have read and sung Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. Already this morning we have had Psalm 14 presented to us and the total depravity of man. Verse 3 tells us, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Psalm 14 and its fraternal twin, Psalm 53, both say, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Why do we believe there is a God, and he's the only true and living God, and he's the father of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he sent Jesus Christ on a divine mission to die for our sins? Why do we believe that? Because we have been given the gift of eternal life to know that. And that is what it took to change sinners dead in trespasses and sins. Without review, because enough time has been spent leading up to John 17 and last Lord's Day, let's go right after the second verse. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. John 17 is the prayer of Jesus to God his Father, or to the Father or to God in the first line of your little handout. John 17, 2, with the use of the word as, opening the verse, is going to tell us the answer and the reason and the explanation of Jesus' first words in verse 1. In verse 1, Jesus prayed, Father, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as, and it goes on to describe eternal life, and the giving of eternal life in order for rational creatures that were sinful enemies, knowing God, knowing that he's the true God, knowing his Son, and why his Son was sent. 
And so the second line on your handout, John 17, 2, tells how God and Jesus gave each other glory. Glory. Father, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, was in verse 1. And verse 2 explains that. Now it'll be a few minutes before we return. Jesus is praying to God his Father, and he is explaining, Lord, if... Father in heaven, if you'll glorify me, if you'll sustain me, and if you'll put honor upon me, and you will help me through the next few hours, I will turn them to your glory. And that is accomplished in the salvation of sinners. That's why we have the word as to open up John 17 and verse 2. God and Jesus glorified each other by the fabulous wisdom and power of the gift of eternal life. Eternal life and adoption as sons by the sovereign choice of God is ultimate glory. It's an incredible act of glory. It's the wisdom and power of God when you see it correctly. The eternal destiny of angels and men, in this case men, shows God's infinite authority, which is part of his glory. And the two of them, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, glorified each other in saving us. The grandest event in the universe was God sending his son to save rebel enemies. Now earlier, a few minutes ago, we went into Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, and it says a door was opened in heaven. So we had a vision. But I'm telling you, John 17, 2 gives us a vision into the eternal decrees of God. Because God in eternity chose us in Christ and foreordained Christ to die before the world began. And it's just, it's just assumed here by Jesus talking to his father. This is not Jesus teaching a theology class or teaching a soteriology class. Theology is the science of God. Soteriology is the science of salvation or the doctrine of salvation versus the doctrine of God. This is Jesus praying to his father because this, these are covenant terms given before the world began. Right. I'm t- I want to tell you, If the Bible's half true in this verse, Jesus Christ is ten times more sovereign than you think. And I don't care how highly you think of him. The power and authority in this verse is overwhelming, but it's glorious. And it was exercised for us. Wow. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. Here's a peek into heaven and the eternal counsel and decrees of the living Godhead. On this night, outside, in the darkness, with his apostles, Jesus revealed the plans of Almighty God. The whole universe exists for the dramatic display of God's sovereign authority. God did not create because he needed to. He created to display his infinite ways, his infinite nature, his infinite attributes. Before he created, his eternal counsel and decrees had determined many things. Before the world began, how many things did God do for us before the world began? I preached it a long time ago. It's worth your review. He promised eternal life before the world began, Titus 1-2. He purposed to save some in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy 1-9, before the world began. Are you counting? He chose and predestinated sons in Christ Jesus, in Ephesians 1.4, he foreordained Jesus to die, 1 Peter 1.20, 
He wrote his elect in the book of life, Revelation 17, 8. He prepared a heavenly kingdom for us, Matthew 25, 34. He planned to save many Gentiles, Acts 15, 18. And he chose to save us to believe truth, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. What's the count? Eight. Amen. Amen to eight. Wow. He did this before the foundation of the world. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. I ask you, when did God the Father give them to Jesus to give eternal life to them? Before the world began. When was it assigned to Jesus Christ that all authority would be put in his hands? Before the world began. When were preparations for heaven commenced? Before the world began. When were Gentiles identified as the objects of the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Before the world began. And so, in your little worksheet, I will force myself to pay attention to it from time to time. You have the answer to line three. This is the Lord Jesus we worship in this verse. This is my Lord Jesus Christ Right. right here. He is not knocking at any door that he can't get in. My Bible tells me that Jesus opens and no man can shut. And when Jesus shuts, no man can open. My Bible tells me that Jesus has the keys of David. He has all the authority for little people like us. And I thank God for revealing him to us. Paul feared that Corinth would accept preachers preaching another Jesus. And we live in a nation, a so-called Christian nation, that has many preachers preaching another Jesus. That's in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4. Rome pronotes her fairy fraud. Roman Catholic Church has her fairy fraud in a manger on a crucifix with a bleeding heart. Long-haired hermaphrodite, effeminate hippie, John Lennon look-alike is what the Roman Catholic Church has promoted for so long and so many others have followed her. Muslims say that Jesus was a prophet, though considerably less than Muhammad, and he did not die on a cross. Arminians love their long-haired beggar at the door that I mentioned in the garden, unable to gain access. I'm thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ didn't wait at my heart's door for me to let him in. I'm thankful that he kicked it off the hinges and came right on in and said, Live! Because I was dead. Who's going to open a door when they're dead? They use Revelation 3.20 so far out of context, and they have no clue that it's only talking about church fellowship with Jesus Christ. Before Jesus ascended, he told the eleven that he had all power in heaven and earth. See the first third of John 17.2? As thou hast given him power over all flesh. He told his apostles, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye Therefore, and preach in all nations, baptizing believers and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Jesus told his apostles they would cast out devils and turn men from Satan to God by his glorious power. Jesus told Peter that they would breach the gates of hell in converting Gentiles and the gates of hell would not prevail against them. The great mystery of godliness is contained here by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. God was manifest in the flesh. He was received up into glory. And between those two end posts, we have preached 
unto the Gentiles and believed on in the world. And justified in the spirit and seen of angels. Right. It's our great mystery of godliness and we rejoice in that summary of the gospel. Jesus had taught back in John chapter 12 that it was time for him to be glorified. He said in verse 23 of John 12, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now we look at the cross and we see terror and we see trouble and we see pain, suffering, bleeding, and dying. But he rose from the dead and he saved us by that death. And here's what Jesus said about being glorified. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ saw his glory. Let me get to that cross and die and be put in the ground and I will bring forth much fruit. And you know what? You're here today because that corn of wheat was put in the ground. The Lord Jesus Christ. He said right there in that context, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That's a lot of authority. That's a lot of power. This he said, signifying what death he should die. God gave authority to Jesus Christ over all the rational creatures of the human race. And all rational creatures. All angels, principalities, and powers, thrones, might, and dominion are subject to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they obey him. But his saving work is for the rational creatures of our race. In this verse, John 17, 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, it is not describing his ability to do work. Usually the word power in a scientific way means the ability to do work. I have power to lift that box. I have strength or ability to lift that box. Here, the word power means authority. This is line four. God gave Jesus power or authority in the plan to save some. The word power is used in the Bible sometimes for strength and the ability to do work. And sometimes it's the authority or right to do what he chooses with objects. For instance, in John chapter 19, about this word power, and see, this is a study in itself that is very gratifying because Jesus Christ has both. In in nearly unlimited senses, in his divine nature, unlimited. But John 19 and verse 10, Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Are you going to stand there and not answer my questions? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee? Well, Pilate wasn't going to lift Jesus up on the cross himself, nor was he going to drive any nails. So it's not talking about doing work. It's talking about authority. I have the authority and the right of the civil ruler of this nation to crucify thee. And I have power to release thee. I have the authority and the right to say against these Jews that you are an innocent man and let you go. The wife hath not power of her own body. Does that mean that she can't get up herself in the morning? It means she doesn't have the authority or the right to deny her husband in marital matters in 1 
Corinthians chapter 7. No more references on that. I'll get waylaid and we'll be here for a while because I love power. Right. Sorry. I love power because it is the strength of God and it is the authority of God to do whatever he wants. Yes. He is not limited in authority and he's not limited in ability to do whatever he chooses. Amen. You know, the heathen looked at Israel and then Jerusalem and their big temple there, and there were no idols. You know what they said? Where is now their God? What did he say? What do we say? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. That God is worthy of your greatest adoration, praise and honor and obedience. It's glorious. Glorious. When it says flesh here, it's excluding angels because angels don't have flesh. It's excluding your pets. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry that your gerbil wasn't saved by Jesus Christ. I'm sorry that your kitty cats and dogs and their ten fluids that they leave in your house. Yes, I've done more research. I'm sorry that they're not saved. As some teach today, like Jack Van Empey, I'll give you a name. Flesh here is mankind, obviously excluding angel spirits and all irrational animals and inanimate matter. It's talking about flesh. And we are the flesh. God destroyed flesh, and it extended beyond rational creatures of us to irrational animals. But this is about us in this context. Because they might know thee, the only true God, and there's no other flesh that does that, but humankind, mankind, saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God gave Jesus power over flesh men, Over all men, all men, because it says, as thou hast given him power over all flesh. All flesh goes in that line in his choice of giving Jesus Christ all the authority. There's no marriage in heaven. Why do you think there's going to be pets? Don't say it out loud. What it means is that your pet's more important to you than your spouse. So don't say it out loud. Jesus created all things without any exception. All things were made by him. And without him was anything made that was made. Amen. Jesus made all things. So all things, rational, irrational, inanimate, are under his control, power, right, authority, and dominion. Jesus' authority had been stated well already in this gospel. Flip with me in a few pages back to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Thou hast given him power, authority, over all flesh. All men will answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. They shall bow and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Philippians chapter 2. John chapter 3 and verse 35. The Father loveth the Son. Do you appreciate that? You better love the Son. You better treat the Son with honor and care because the Father loves the Son. We want a Christ-centric church to honor God because God loves his son. The father loveth the son and hath given all things into his hand. You know, when we love our sons, we pull our keys out of our pocket and say, why don't you go ahead and take my car? Oh, what a big spender. 
But we do. But you know what God did? He put all things under his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 5, we had some of these words again. Verse 20. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. See in verse 20, the Father loveth the Son. Verse 21, for as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. Do you understand that? Not, not who wants to be quickened, who he chooses to quicken. And I love this God. I missed him for a while. In proper time, he revealed himself to me. I love this verse. When I was 19 years old, I distinctly remember this verse. Leading me toward verse 25. When I elevated off a chair in a kitchen dinette set in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Don't write me about levitation, okay? What I meant was I, could, I was just out of my mind with joy and pleasure at understanding the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so. When you have an as and even so comparison being made in the Word of God, and it's quite common, it is exactly the same way. Jesus Christ has exactly the same kind of life-giving power as the Father did, and the Son quickeneth whom he will. He makes a choice because all flesh is under his authority. Verse 22, for the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. That's serious. The Lord Jesus Christ is so different from hanging on a crucifix or being in a manger or you're wearing him on your neck or seeing him standing begging at a door. He's got all this authority for life. Can he say, open sesame? And the door open? Absolutely. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. These words, some of you came to me and told me how precious this section of John 5 was to you. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. And I'll quit there. It goes right on to describe the gift of eternal life by Jesus Christ through his voice. Powerful. And it says, marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in, in which all the bodies that are in graves, we just heard 80 billion a little while ago. Let's go with 80 billion. 80 billion bodies, no matter how much they've dissolved, are going to come up out of the ground by the voice of Jesus Christ. John 5, 28 and 29. Let's get back to John 17 and verse 2. God gave authority to Jesus Christ over all mankind. Power, here is his authority. In John 17, 2, the first clause, and flesh here is mankind, and all of them, all men, as rational flesh beings, are under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you can answer the next line. How many things did Jesus ask you about before creating you? You know, he didn't ask me how tall I wanted to be. And that's okay. I love him for it. Sometimes you may think that I'm complaining about it. No, I'm just picking on that as one example. Because I want to identify things that in my flesh I might dislike, but I want to not only like them, but love them. I'm obnoxious enough at 5'9". 
Who wants me 6'9"? No amens from my family. God made Jesus Christ the final authoritative judge over all men. Men will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ they'll appear. And it's going to be the words from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Go, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. That's Matthew 7 and Matthew 25. Do you grasp the unlimited authority Jesus has over every aspect of your existence? Do you grasp that? The Lord Jesus Christ is the Word, and the Word made all things, and without the Word was not anything made that was made. He made you, and He made you just like you are, and He determined all the events of your life. And so it's, uh, the question is asked, how many things did Jesus ask you about before creating you? What number goes in that line? Zero. Zero goes in that line. Did He ask you if you wanted to exist? I know you've heard this from me. Don't be bored by it. It'll exercise your mind. Did Jesus Christ ask if you wanted existence? I don't think that's very fair. It's my existence. <laughs> it's my brother. It's my existence. Shouldn't I have been consulted if I wanted to exist? Think about it with me. Then the next question is, can I turn my existence off? No, I can only take it from bad to worse. If I commit suicide... I'm going from bad to worse in my existence because then I face God and an eternity in hell as a murderer. Right. Do you know what kind of authority we're talking about? Humble. That doesn't ask you if you want existence. Do you know that some people spend most of their existence in this world in a great deal of pain, disappointment, trouble? Mm -hmm. And he, go, he goes ahead and creates them anyway. Right. He gave us a Garden of Eden. He gave us paradise, and we didn't like it. Right. As thou hast given him power over all flesh. I, I am here today in front of you, still alive, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. And you're sitting in front of me, still alive, right. by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can't turn your existence off. And he'll exist forever for his glory. I love him. That terrifies me mentally. But I love him in my spirit. Did Jesus ask you about how tall you should be? How much you should weigh? What you should look like? The parents you would have? The country you would be born in? The county you would be born in? Is there a difference between... Greenville County and the other counties of this state? Oh, yes. What generation you'd be born in, what intelligence you would have, your level of physical coordination, your health, your vertical jump, the neighbors that you would have growing up, the musical ability you would have, school teachers that you would have in the course of your school career, job openings, temperament, personality. Did he ask you about any of those? Did he just go ahead and dole them out like a card deck? Yes, he did, but it was an infinitely wise dealer. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did those things for us. 
Third, and the obvious point right here, far beyond what I've said so far, is your eternal destiny. Do you realize John 17, 2 is about eternal destiny? As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. What happens to the runs that God didn't give Jesus Christ? Eternal damnation. This is election and reprobation in one verse. This is the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the second clause, that he should give eternal life. And verse 2, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, God gave Jesus Christ authority over all men, that he should give eternal life. The next line on your little worksheet is probably my favorite. How many gifts are there in John 17, 2 to get you saved and to get you to heaven. Give me a number. Thank you. Somebody's got courage. Three! Pastor, there's three! Yes, indeed. Three gifts. God gave Jesus Christ all authority over all men. Jesus Christ gives eternal life to as many of those men as God gave him to save. There are three gifts, and they're all wrapped up in the Godhead. How many offers are there in John 17, 2, for eternal life and you getting to heaven? None. There's no offers. That'd be giving you the authority, and all the authority is in Christ. It is all about Him. If there was an offer, that means you have to do something. If you have to do something, it's by works and not by grace. If you have to do something, then God's a debtor and not freely given. If you have to do something, no one would be saved because no man is capable of doing anything pleasing to God as we heard from Psalm 14 earlier today. Do you understand that? It's all by His grace. And there's three gifts and there's no offers. I love those three gifts. Almighty God gave complete and total authority to Jesus Christ over all men to assign even their eternal destiny, let alone their existence, let alone their height, let alone their job openings, let alone their temperament, let alone their singing ability, or any of the other little things. Jesus Christ gives eternal life as a present to his sheep, which were given to him. Back up a few chapters to John chapter 10. Oh Lord, show us this clearly. John chapter 10, verse 26. Jesus speaking to the unbelieving reprobate Jews. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28 of John 10. And I give unto them eternal life. Do you see how this is a perfect cross-reference for John 17, 2? I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. So the Father gave the sheep to Jesus Christ. In verse 29, Jesus gave eternal life to the sheep in verse 28. And in verse 26, the Jews that he was facing were not of his sheep. 
So there are some that are his sheep given to him by the Father, and the rest are not. That is called election. God chose them. It is called reprobation. God rejected them. Election is God's choice to save. Reprobation is God's choice to reject. You say, is the word reprobation in the Bible? Absolutely yes. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Prove your own selves to see whether you're reprobates or not. Oh, I love this glorious being. Lord, but you know what? The words are cheap. We better obey him. If we understand his authority, we should obey him as if he has that authority. Flip back further a couple of pages to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 36. But I said unto you, this is so similar to John 10. Listen to these words. These are a bunch of seekers that have come after him. Thousands wanting another free lunch. But I said unto you, John 6, 36, that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me, notice the terminology, we're talking about three gifts. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the eternal counsel and the eternal decrees of God. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, there it is again, God's electing grace, giving certain of the human race to Jesus to save, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And amen. Back to John chapter 17. Thank you, Lord, for such wonderful news. Thank you, Lord, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Foolish Arminians use the Romans' road to preach a conditional offer. When an Arminian reads a verse like this, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, They cannot conceive of a gift because they hate a God that would make a choice in their salvation. Listen, I grew up with them. I went to their unusual university. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They can't see the word gift. They can't spell the word gift. All they can think of is offer. For the wages of sin is death, but the offer of eternal life is through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is not what John 17, 2 teaches, nor any other place in the Bible that God ever offered eternal life. Okay, let's go over it again. If he offered eternal life, then I have to do something in order to obtain it. I become my own savior, and I'm the deciding factor and discriminating difference between those in heaven and hell. If I have to do something, then salvation is by works and not by grace. If I have to do something, then God owes it to me and he's in debt. And I want you to know that everything I'm saying, the Bible very clearly says, God is never in debt and salvation is not by works. If I have to do something that pleases God in order to be saved, 
then total depravity is not true. Psalm 14, 1 through 3 is not true. Romans 3, 10 through 18 is not true. And man's capable of doing something pleasing to God on his own in order to get saved. The Bible denies all that. And I don't want to preach all that again today. I'm trying to in in a brief form. We have to be given eternal life first before we would ever believe. And that puts all the authority with Christ, all the saving grace with Jesus Christ, through God's electing grace before the foundation of the world. It's so simple. Their ignorance, like painting John 3.16 on their eyelids, cannot comprehend a gift. Listen, their best story, and I've told some of you this, you've heard it several times, please forgive me for having to repeat myself for younger members and for newer members. The evangelist comes to the time of his invitation. And he works under his coat jacket and he works under his sleeve and he pops off his gold watch. And he says, I will give this gold watch to anyone that will come up and take it. And he is using, I didn't say that. (laughs) Micaiah, I saw the gleam in your eye. (laughs) Just come up and take it. This is the time of his invitation. They think This is the most creative, God-glorifying, effective way of saving people. Come up and take it. I'm giving you my watch. No, I haven't. I am holding it out to see if you can jump up and get the banana. That's what they do. That is nonsense. Okay, who, who can come up and take it? When we're dealing with salvation, who can come up and take it? Total depravity says no one can come up and take it. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God, and he found how many? None. No, not one. They think a gift has to be received in order to be transferred. Where do they come up with such an idea? Okay, you're on death row. Are we on death row spiritually? Psalm 14 pretty much put us on death row. If we're pardoned by the judge in charge of death row, Do you have to receive it? No. The executioner is just told, stand down and go golf today. We don't have anyone to kill. Now, whether if you want to sit in your if you want to sit in your cell and eat prison fare and not go out and and go to the Golden Arches, you say that sounds like prison fare. Oh no, it isn't. Um, That's your fault. But you don't die. You don't need to receive a pardon. A pardon. Are you looking at your little page? It's down a little ways. We'll come back and fill in. If a man is on death row, a blank surely saves him from death. Do you see that line? If a man is on death row, a pardon surely saves him from death. He isn't put to death because the judge in charge of his execution tells the executioner, take the day off. There's nothing to do. So you don't die. You don't have to receive it. Above that, if a person is dead in bed, If a person is dead in bed, offering medicine is of how much help? None. They must be given life. And so the next line up is, if a person is dead in bed, offering medicine cannot help them. If a will transfers an estate to a person, it does not affect title if they enjoy it or not. If the last will and testament of a man transfers title... To someone else, whether they know about it or whether they enjoy it or whether they do something with it, doesn't matter. Title was transferred. We have a title in our possession by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ 
and it's a title to heaven and to be joint heirs with him by his authority. The only offer we read about is Jesus offering himself to God. Do you know that the Bible says that? Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to God. That's the only offer of eternal life. God didn't offer eternal life to us. No one would have taken it. God didn't offer eternal life to us to fulfill the conditions. This is the third time I'm going over it. I do remember some things. He did not offer it because us having to fulfill a condition puts him under obligation and makes him a debtor and makes it by works and not by grace. And no one would do it anyway. The only accepting we read of is God accepting sinners in the beloved. So let's back up to where there's three blanks in a line separated by the words accepts and in. Blank accepts blank in blank to give us eternal life. God accepts us in Christ to give us eternal life. Where is that found in the Bible? Ephesians 1.6 According as he hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's the acceptance. No one would ever accept Jesus Christ unless they had eternal life first. And if it depends upon us accepting Jesus Christ in order to get us saved, the deciding difference between who's in heaven and who's in hell are the deciders instead of God deciding. And this is God deciding in John 17 and verse 2. The only offer we read about is Jesus offering himself to God without spot, Hebrews 9, 14, by the eternal spirit. The only accepting we read of is God accepting sinners in the beloved, Ephesians 1, 6. But if you listen to those Arminians, you'd think that every other verse is about accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. I wish that they act like it's every other verse. Accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, not found in the Bible. Receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Where are you going to find that? They say, what about John 1, 12? Well, if you'll read the whole sentence, I'll let you go to John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of God, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. If you want to go to John 1, 12, I'm going to tell you there that it wasn't by the will of man. So how are you going to receive Jesus Christ since you can't use your will? How does it work there? God regenerates us without our will. And by him regenerating us and giving us life, we then exercise our will by the power of God to receive Jesus Christ. He came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him. And then it went on to explain how that happens. God changes us to receive his son, Jesus Christ, like right here. You know what the next verse is going to say? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. How do we come to know Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ gives us eternal life in verse 2 before we get to verse 3. Our receiving related to eternal life is entirely passive. Look at this. Do you understand the difference between passive and active verb voices? In case you don't, or in case you forgot, or in case you just like to be tickled by the blessed Holy Spirit and the powerful Word of God, go to Galatians 4.9. Galatians 4.9, the Holy Spirit makes the distinction about a passive-voiced verb and an active-voiced verb. An active-voiced verb is when you're acting. A passive-voiced verb is when you're being acted upon. Galatians 4.9, But now, after that ye have known God, but now, after that ye have known God, 
That's us being active, knowing God. Or rather, rather, are known of God. That's God knowing us. And which is better? Which is first? Which is more important? It's God knowing us. That's an active voice or a passive voice verb. We, or, but now, after that ye have known God, that's where we're active, or rather are known of God, that's God knowing us where we're passive, how turn ye again? Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I just want to show you an example or two of the word receive used in a passive sense. Romans 5.11, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. By whom we have now received the atonement. We received it passively because God, through Jesus Christ, put us at one again. Atonement means at one again. Look at Romans 5.17. For if by one man's offense death reign by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. There the word receive is again in Romans 5, 17. But you know what we're dealing with in Romans 5, verses 12 through 19, is imputation, which is there's two representatives for the human race, Adam and the second Adam. And how do we receive? We receive passively through imputation by God simply assigning the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ's singular obedience and death to our accounts. You're not actively receiving. You're passively receiving a deposit in your bank account. And that deposit in your bank account is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord, just like you got a deposit in your bank account of eternal condemnation by the first Adam. You didn't have to receive Adam. We don't receive the first Adam. We don't have to receive the second Adam actively. We passively receive both Adams. And it is the most powerful passage in the Bible about imputation. It's right here in Romans 5, 12 through 19. And thank you, Lord, for that wonderful passage of Scripture. The gift of eternal life is the greatest kindness you have ever known and at great cost. You deserve eternal death. You earned its wages, but a gift paid them off. The gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. God that must destroy you for sins just to be just gave you eternal life freely instead by punishing his son. No wonder it's called the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ for who can imagine such good news? Amen. There's no offer of eternal life requiring sinners to fulfill terms in order to be saved. His offering puts sins away forever by one offering. Right. One offering. Amen. And he offered it to God. Not a single one's going to be lost. Jesus said he's not going to lose a single one. If he left it up to us, he'd lose everyone. The power of John 17, 2. As thou hast given him power, the authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be convicted. Is that in the Bible? He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. It's God looking at Christ and being satisfied that is our salvation, not us looking at Christ and being convicted and taking him into our souls and that saving us. It's God saving us through Jesus Christ. 
We do want to look at the cross and be convicted for service in this life and obedience and love and delight toward him. But not to get the gift of eternal life and our names written in the book of life and title transferred to us of the universe which we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. What phase of eternal life does Jesus give primarily right here in this context? It should be pretty simple for you. What's about to happen in a few hours? The hour has come. It's the legal phase of salvation primarily. But the legal phase is dependent upon the eternal phase, and the legal phase purchases all other phases. So we don't like to pull them apart too much, but here it's the legal phase because he's about to die. The last third of verse 2 as many as thou hast given him. This is election and predestination. I've already read it to you from John 6, and I've read it to you from John 10. God gave certain persons to Jesus to save. Look what it says. To as many as thou hast given him. Father, here's the sentence so far. Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee according to the eternal purpose that you've purposed in me, as thou hast given him, speaking of the Son, power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. That last part, as many as thou hast given him, that is election. That is predestination. That's God predetermining your destination beforehand, before the world began by assigning you to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ came and fulfilled it because God gave Jesus Christ complete authority over all mankind. This is wonderful. God gave specific sinners to Jesus Christ by election for him to save by his death. This is God's choice according to the good pleasure of his will by assigning them to the Lord Jesus and writing their names in the book of life. These are the chosen, these are the elect, these are the predestinated of God that are described throughout the New Testament. The words, as many as. How many more will be saved than God's election? As many as. How many more will be saved than God's election? None. How many will be lost of God's election? None. Because it's as many as. The exact number that God gave Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ would give eternal life to. Paul preached the same message. And we'll not turn you to those verses. Let's go to John 17 and verse 3. And this is life eternal. This gift of eternal life, what does it result in? What does it do? What does it bring about? And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God. Now some would look at this verse, and they would say that's got to be a condition. That's got to be the way that you get the gift of eternal life. But the rest of the Bible precludes that, obviously. The language of verse 2 precludes it, obviously, that that there's three gifts and there's no offers. It's the gift of eternal life for God to have a family in heaven that knows him and that knows all his war stories and that knows the oldest son, and that loves him, and that loves the inheritance, and loves the freedom from sin that he's given them. This is the Father in heaven giving eternal life to rebel enemies for them to fully appreciate everything about him for the, eterni- for the, for the duration of eternity. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. In the middle of your little worksheet, John 17, 3 says, God saves men because they wanted to know God, that they might know God. That they might know God is what John 17, 3 says. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Father, you have sent me into the world with a bunch of men that you've assigned to me. I'm not talking about the apostles at the moment. All those that are given the gift of eternal life. You've sent me into the world, having assigned to me a group of men. And I'm going to give them eternal life for them to know you, and for them to know me, and for them to know that I came from you, and that I'm your son, and for us to dwell together for eternity in perfect happiness and fulfillment with an everlasting inheritance. That's what he's praying. It's incredible. It's the glorious gospel of the grace of God that they might know thee. You say, do you have another witness? Yes. How about the same writer? The same writer and the same author. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Let me read this to you. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. So notice, the Son of God had to come to give us an understanding that ye may know. John 17, 3. This is 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. We didn't have it by ourselves. Did we read this morning from Psalm 14, there is none that understandeth? Did we read that? Do we rightly divide the word of, we divide the word of truth. Do we rightly divide the word of truth? Any understanding we have of God is consequent. It's a, it's a result of having the gift of eternal life given to us by Jesus Christ. Let me read it for the third time. I'm not done with the verse yet. 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. Is that the only true God? Him that is true? And we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is the true God, and this is eternal life, that Jesus came and gave us an understanding because we didn't have an understanding of our own, so he gave us an understanding that we would know the only true God and Jesus Christ, his Son. And we are in Jesus Christ, his Son, and this is the true God and eternal life. Amen. Oh, John 17, 2. It was that same age of 19. By the grace of God... I love these words. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent, that we would have a family that knows all about what each other has done for us, and we haven't done anything for anyone. But the Lord Jesus Christ has done everything for us. And Father, we'll spend eternity together because you've given me authority over all flesh, and you've given me certain men to give eternal life to. I've given eternal life to them so that they'll know you, they'll know me, they'll know that I came from you, and they'll know what I did for them. And he's going to go on and say, would you give me a little of that glory that I had before I came to earth so that they can really see my glory? Is he going to get that? John fell at his feet as dead. Revelation chapter 1. Okay, your little handout. I sort of lost track of it. Which comes first? Can you find that one? It's 60% of the way down the page. 
Which comes first, knowing God or eternal life? Eternal life comes first. If God does not save us, we might believe a blank is God. Since I used an, that's giving it away partially, idol. We might believe an idol is God. Do you think we're capable of that? Oh, yes, easy. If Jesus offered, let's go down now to the fourth one from the bottom. If Jesus offered eternal life, how many would be saved? None. If Jesus offered eternal life, it would be by works, not grace. If this is hard to believe, God is the potter, you are the clay. Let me read you two passages. I want to hurry up and finish here. I want to to read you two passages. Let's start in the Old Testament about the potter and the clay. I've read them to you before, but I want you to remember them because this is what John 17, 2 is teaching us. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker! Exclamation point. Woe unto him that wants to argue, fight God. Woe unto him that wants to argue against what I've taught you this morning from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in a prayer. In a prayer, Jesus said those things. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. He's the maker. It's a capital M. We're what's made, and it's a little m, if it were here. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. And they do it every day in their blogs, in their comments, in their articles. It's everywhere. The potsherds of the earth, the broken pieces of pottery. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. But we can't strive with our maker. We can't strive with the potter. Shall the clay, shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. Can the clay say that to a potter? You made a human form, but there's no hands on it. It's just got a stub. Can you say to God, you should have made me with hands? No, but he did. Do you know how much you should appreciate that? Isaac Newton said there is a God because of one thing. Anyone else read that this week? Right there. Unprecedented. That's what he said. I appreciated it. He just got lost in thinking about this little boy. Can it do quite a few things for you? Amen. Yes. Can it do more than these? Oh, yeah, it can. they're okay, but oh, I love that boy. You say you're being foolish in the pulpit. If I'm foolish for the Lord's sake, I'm sorry that you don't appreciate it. Right. Because I like that. I got it from this. He hath no hands. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? Who's going to rail on a mother for giving birth to you with some feature that you have from her genetically? Who's going to do the same thing to a father? The Lord's trying to make a comparison with clay to, clay to a potter, children to a mother, children to a father. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. 
what does that maker do? He gave all authority over all men to Jesus Christ and assigned some men to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gives eternal life to every single one of them, which brings us to Romans 9. And it's the second of the two passages I wanted to read. Romans 9. We could read the whole chapter. I will try to limit myself. I've got to start at verse 11. Romans 9:11. The sovereignty of God in salvation. For the children being not yet born, Jacob and Esau, twins, in the womb at the same time. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. That the purpose of God according to election might stand. Who gave us his purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before the world began. 2 Timothy 1.9 According that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It is all in God that determines destiny and calls men. It was said unto her, that is the mother, Rebekah, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. He does not have mercy on those who want mercy. He has mercy on those he wants to show mercy to. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. Do you want to see the purpose of God according to election in Pharaoh's life? Here's my purpose for you, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, drawing a conclusion from those verses, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, those men that he did not give to Jesus Christ to save? Verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared into glory, even from before the foundation of the world, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Do you know God? Do you know God? It's the evidence of eternal life. Do you know God? It'll be evident by an obedient life. Do you love this God? Just as he is in sovereign power over you, do you love him just the way he is? Because eternal life is that you might know him and love him and live for him and enjoy him and delight delight in him. Do you love Jesus Christ? It'll be evident by a Christ-centered, passionate life as we prayed for first thing this morning. God in Christ loved others, the rest of the family of God, and if you know 
Them, you will love the brethren indeed. Right. Indeed. You can make your election to heaven sure by working up from faith to brotherly kindness and charity. In the list of eight things in Second Peter chapter 1. John 17 verses 2 and 3. Fantastic verses. For eternity, God our Father will expose more and more of himself to us. He's exposed some of himself to us in the word of God. We love him the way he's described here, which takes quite a transformation of a rebellious man or a rebellious woman. And we will enjoy him forever. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And this is part of a prayer. Father, glorify thy son, that thy son also might glorify thee. And that's how the glory is derived by us being the vessels of mercy, vessels of honor for the display of the riches of his glory and grace, and others will display the fury and wrath and power of Almighty God against sin. We deserve to be with them. In grace, he's made us different. Right. All right. glory to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm.